Listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Alistair Lockhart, an illustrator and digital artist. Since Alistair's work is highly visual, you might like to explore some of his artwork as we listen. You can find images and videos on his website, alistairlockhart.net. There's a link in the show notes. In this episode, We explore demons, goblins, and superheroes, and capturing their form in illustrations and digital art. In our conversation, Alistair shares thoughts on his generally open and responsive approach to employment within electronic games and associated fields, including roles as artist for comics, trading cards, and short films, and as art director for electronic games, through to short film director and teacher. Alistair offers insights into some of his illustration techniques, which usually start with a rough sketch. Rather than focusing on simple physical attributes, Alistair asks the fundamental questions of storytelling. That is, the who, what, where, when, why, and how to explore a character's background and story, vital to how they'll come to life and become visually expressed for an audience. In our conversation, we also explore some straightforward thoughts around job satisfaction and some of the more profound ideas related to one's career, following your own path and living a creative life that fires your imagination. Here's my conversation with Alistair Lockhart. Okay, here we go. Hello, Alistair. Take two. Nice to be speaking with you. Nice to see you, Mark. So we did get off to a really good start just then, and we were about to mm-hmm. embark on a, on a good discussion about imposter yeah. syndrome. So to, let's just yeah. start back up again. I understand it. It's something that um, many artists suffer from, uh, actors, writers, uh, whomever. They always feel like at any moment somebody's going to point out and go, wait a minute, you suck, and it will all collapse and they'll have to go and work in a factory. Um, so artists always felt a little bit ostentatious to me. Um, I've never tried to change the world or people's minds with my work. Uh, just tell the story, really. So illustrator. Illustrator, yeah, because we were talking. Yeah. I was trying to think of what how you describe what's your description, you know, a label. Mm. And so, <laughs> what do you like? I guess you do more than illustrating. Um, mm-hmm. And as I understand, your focus a little more recently, or, or you know, for a while, is um, I don't know what you would call it electronic illustration. No, I can see that um, that's not what you call it. Digital art, digital art, so a digital artist. So um, uh, I worked in games for a while, and uh, I also made a, an animated movie, um, which did quite well. But, uh, yeah, um, 
that that all sort of happened. Um, there was a phrase that I heard um, from one of my father's friends, uh, the road the gypsies go, which is uh, kind of what my career has done, is that um, uh, people have suggested, hey, you know, would you like to try this? And I would say, yeah, okay, sure, I'll give it a crack. And, um, and that was how I ended up working in the games industry for 17 years, really. Um, but uh, I don't know where you want me to start the story. Well, yeah, we kind of already started. We always already know a little bit about you. I'm just kind of curious why, what was driving your, um, you know, gypsy style, uh, you know, or not driving rather, do you, you sort of like, um, did you like the spontaneity of that or you just didn't have a bit of a plan or what was sort of going on? Well, uh, um, all I ever really wanted to do was be a professional illustrator. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't particularly fussy as to how, um, as to how that happened, really. Um, when I was a kid, you know, when I was five, I used to draw pictures. Um, I remember saying to my mother, you know, uh, I'm going to draw pictures and write stories when I grow up. And she said, yeah, whatever, because she was working in the kitchen. Um, but uh, I must have meant it because I remember it and it ended up happening. Um, so what sort of things uh, were you doing? Like, you know, you're drawing pictures, but then were you kind of... was all. It was all comic stuff. Um, I used to read a lot of comics, but not superhero comics because I never really liked those as much as I liked horror comics, for example. Oh, like and, uh, um, and what was some? Yeah, of that kind of thing. Yep, yep, I'm familiar. Yeah, the, with the, the the EC horror comics where they always it was always a little anthology of short stories where um, somebody would pay for their hubris <laughs> at the end was uh, yes. was was the overriding theme. They were often very bleak. Um, and um, uh, and I loved that kind of stuff. And, and it caused me, you know, when I was a small child to draw pictures that uh, today would get me sent straight to the therapist. Um, but, uh, but back then, they, you know, <laughs> as long as I was being quiet, which uh, was fairly unusual for me as a child, uh, they, they just didn't interrupt me. <laughs> so did this so, sort of thing, was this sort of like, uh, I can't think of how to describe it, like your whole world was drawing these pictures? Or was it just something? You it was saw? the only thing. It was the only thing that I ever did really well. It was the only thing that people ever congratulated me for. Um, I was a mediocre student in all other respects, um, probably due to ADHD, which wasn't um, diagnosed until I was thirty-five. But uh, in Scotland in the seventies, I was just a bad kid. Uh, and uh, one teacher, for example. Uh, she uh, uh, sat me in a corner of the room against the wall at a desk by myself as far away from the other kids as she could get me and just left me there for the rest of the year. Oh. So, so yeah, modern, the modern teaching techniques of the 70s. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as I say, drawing pictures was the only thing that I ever got plaudits for from anyone. And so it just kind of became my thing very early on and, uh, even later on when I got to my 20s, uh, it was the only thing that ever really possessed me um, or or had me returning. Um, I've tried, it, it, in a way that nothing else ever has, I've tried a whole bunch of things such as, that, that people can often get 
addicted to, such as canyoning or caving or skydiving or, or uh, any other kind of uh, pursuit that can become a passion and then a, a living for you. Um, nothing ever has grabbed me like, you know, uh, the, the satisfaction of drawing a really good picture. Um, so when, when that's, you as were... good, that's as good an explanation as I can offer, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you formalise your um, illustration kind of technique? Like, in other words, when you left school, did you do any further study? I did. I, um, I went to university and um, uh, University of Newcastle in Australia. My, my family moved from Scotland when I was eight years old, so I'm essentially Australian uh, educated. Um, and uh, I told my father that I wanted to do graphic design rather than um, whatever it was that he felt that I should do, law, as an example. Medicine or law, either one, something that's lucrative um, and respectable. Uh, and I said that I wanted to do graphic design, and that caused an argument that lasted for four years um, until eventually he realized that I wasn't going to let this, uh, I wasn't going to let it go. And so um, I went to University of Newcastle and did graphic design. But uh, yeah, even then, over that four years, I was often chastised for merely using the design course to practice illustration. Wow. Because very often, in, in response to a brief, as far as I could get away with it, I would just do the best illustration I possibly could. And then, as a nod to the brief, slap some topography over the top of it. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, what is that? Can you yeah, talk um, us through, for those people that maybe don't know this sort of territory, what's the difference between what's typography, what's design, illustration? Isn't it all part of the same sort of creative thing or no it's it's separate separate kind of tasks well, you um obviously i learned a lot about designing an illustration um but that's different from designing a page of uh, of text uh, a magazine article an advertisement and um so uh, that's the kind of course that takes you through a range of design tasks that you might encounter as a graphic designer in your professional life uh, a lot of advertising um, uh, material, packaging, and so on. Uh, all of it was uh, was very practical. Um, there was elements of sculpture and, uh, and multimedia, photography, and that kind of thing. So it was a very sort of a broad church, so the way the you, course was then. You did and generally it was a very young course at the time. Did you generally enjoy the other elements, or did you kind of? Well, um, typography and uh, like the. Uh, the less illustrative aspects of design and typography. I wasn't as interested in those. Really didn't put as much into those as I could. Um, I like photography very much. I love being in the darkroom. Um, uh, younger people you know, may not know what a darkroom is. <laughs> yes. Uh, once upon a time before digital photography, you would have to shoot on film and then develop that film chemically in a darkroom. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, and print it much the same way. You may have seen the older movies where people are hanging prints with, yeah. uh, with clothes pegs from wires in the ceiling of a dark room. Um, yes, uh, uh, that's the, uh, a lot of the, uh, the chemicals are photosensitive, and so it has to be done in the dark room under infrared light. Mm -hmm. so, so when you, when you finished your degree... When you're blasted out into the real world, what 
how was that? Um, well, I worked in advertising for six months, uh, which I did not enjoy, and I eventually got fired from. Um, not my fault, I would argue. <laughs> but uh, uh, then I um, then I got a job. Uh, I really wanted to be a comic artist. I wanted to, you know, do comics because uh, it was the '90s, and there was a there was a massive sort of a bubble growing in the comics market, which meant that the name of an artist or a writer could sell a book by itself. And so therefore you had rock star artists of the time, like Simon Bisley and, um, and Bill Sankiewicz and, uh, and those sorts. And I figured that I was going to be one of that crew. Um, but in 95, the comics market fell over and Marvel, who are a powerhouse now, sold all their best products movie rights to all the best stuff to be to keep from going bankrupt and so it all just went away but luckily i'd gotten work doing trading cards with a games company and then when their art director um resigned they just said to me okay kid you can be the art director now and i went okay how do you do that and they went now ah, you work it out here's an exorbitant salary go so um that put me in the games industry until 2010 and uh, and it was mostly genre stuff all um, Tolkienian fantasy and derivatives thereof. So I've drawn a lot of goblins. And, and these, uh, what sort and of, when, first, you say, you know, when you say games, you mean electronic games? Yes, video games. Um, the, a company called SSG, Strategic Studies Group, were doing some of the more famous ones that they were making in Australia in the early 90s. The Warlord series, for an example. And my first job was art directing one of those games. So what, and, so what, does uh, art, fantastic. what does an art director do for an art director with games? What, do, what does that job entail? Um, in brief, they, you establish a visual style for the game and a quality bar for the art, and then you make sure that the team of artists that are working with you uh, stick to the style and maintain the quality. And so were you contributing artwork as well, or were you coordinating other artists? Um, I was doing both. I was probably doing the bulk of the art myself. Um, and it was fantastic. I thought, you know, drawing pictures of heroes and goblins, that's my life set. But, you know, five years later, I was like, if I have to draw one more picture of a guy in armor riding a dragon, I'm going to go spare. But luckily, I moved on to other projects that were a bit more varied. Like what? Um, but, uh, well, um, I would always put my hand up. Uh, I would always put my hand up for the... Um, very often a game would want an animated, a full motion video preamble. And I would always put my hand up for writing and directing those. And after doing that about six or seven times, one of them was actually quite good. So then I was asked by a friend who had an idea for a short film to direct that. And uh, the funding came through Film Victoria. Um, and uh, when the film was completed, uh, it went to something like 300 different film festivals and we won uh, an Australian Academy Award for the best animation of 2012 and many, many others. We almost got to the Oscars, but not quite. <laughs> well, um, it, was, uh, it was right around that time that um, the, uh, the global financial crisis hit and a um, great deal of certainty games industry just disappeared and um people who 
people who are at my level in the industry um, went overseas to further their careers. I chose not to because I had a young family and, um, and uh, my wife didn't fancy moving overseas at the time, ending up being in a country where nobody knew her and having to look after two kids by herself while I spent all my time working. And so for the sake of my family and my marriage, um, I stayed in Australia and um, I worked in the truck factory for a while, but eventually somebody said, why don't you teach? And I thought, okay, I'll, as I always do, I said, all right, I'll give that a try. And, uh, and it ended up being the best job I ever had. So um, after six years, um, I, uh, um, I left I left the industry. I left the uh, the, the educational industry because um, where I was working, the role that I had was getting a wee bit stale, and um, and I approached some people that I'd worked with before about doing just some of the same old painted genre art that I'd been doing for them, and they said they had plenty of work on, um, and it was serendipity because uh, COVID hit one month later, and so working at home. Working at home ended up being the perfect fit for the last couple of years, and that's where I am now. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Have you got something in mind? Um, well, uh, uh, I would probably talk about storytelling chiefly because okay. um, Do you want me to my, ask you? A it question? is my opinion. Say it again. Um, it is my opinion that it is my opinion that storytelling is uh, is everything. Okay. And so the beginning of pretty much everything I do um, is a story. Okay. So it, you... it starts with language, and, and, and I guess because I have a visual imagination, the pictures come out of that. Can I, um, what question can I ask you to get the prompt, like to just start it off? Have you got a question I can ask, or I'll just come up with a statement? Um, well, you got me there. Because uh, all the stuff you were uh, saying was quite good if I had to stop talking, but. I didn't. <laughs> so, um, Tell well, us if about you're, if you're referring to, stories. If you're referring to the, if you're referring to the illustration, stories, um, storytelling. Well, the, the process of illustration, I find, is uh, is the same process as telling a story, because I believe that story is uh, not only important but vital to everything, to the very sense of a person's identity when I ask you who you are or when somebody who says who are you Alice Lockhart I say well I was born in Scotland my family moved to Australia when I was eight um, I love to draw so and I do that for a living I was a teacher for a while and now I'm here now that's um, that's a fiction I can't tell you everything because it's too much detail and my memory is bad um, but uh, yes that's a story I would uh, give a random questioner uh, who I didn't know very well. I would have a different story for my grandmother. Um, I would tell a different story to somebody who I hoped would offer me a job. 
Um, I think I would have a very much different story again if I was talking to somebody that I hoped would sleep with me. Um, you you make these fictions up, and you and and they are the building blocks of your identity. And um, and you always have this little store everywhere you go. So uh, when you approach uh, an illustrative work, you start with you know, who the character is and what is happening to them. And there's that old writing maxim of, um, is this the most interesting phase of the character story? And if it's not, why aren't we hearing about that? So um, in a given situation, instead of just painting a picture of a goblin standing in a field, give the goblin something to do. Why is the goblin there? What led him to this place? What's the weather like? Who is he engaging with, if anything at all? How does he feel about it? Uh, and that will give you a, a more lively and engaging story, uh, a, a visual image. And um, if you're creating a character, then it's pretty much the same thing. Um, if, if I ask you to, uh, Mark, please draw a picture of a superhero. Go. You surely have questions. Do you not? <laughs> I, I certainly don't have any answers to those questions you asked earlier about the goblin. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, so... If, if How I do you answer those, though? I say, I don't know, I guess. Well, you don't have an answer to that because you don't know anything about the superhero. He's got tights and a cape. What colour are the tights? They're red. Red? You're out of your mind. You're fired. Um, no, you need to know... Uh, who this person is and where they come from and how they acquired their powers and when and how that affected their lives and what their lives were like before that and what period of time that was before you can have any hope whatsoever of visualizing what this person looks like. And so uh, character design, illustration design, um, certainly comic pieces, no, um, they're usually fairly, they're usually fairly short, short form stories. Uh, you, you have to do your world building really quick because obviously you're not dropping into the character story at birth. You have to start at um, something interesting that's happening to them, and pack down who they are. All of that information into a capsule that is expressed visually to the, the to the audience very quickly like within eight pages they have to know who the main character is within the first page and so that's all uh, brought through by how they look you know how fat or thin or whether they are how old they are the kind of clothes they wear the kind of expression that they they wear on their face their stance um you know are they shoulders back chest puffed out or are they round shouldered and slumped um, all of these things, tiny little details will tell you about who the character is. And it's vital to get that information through very, very quickly because you've got a lot of ground to cover before, you know, you get to page eight. When, you know, he has a sudden run-in with a mysterious object that brings forth a hideous monster for another dimension that turns his life upside down and, <laughs> and peels his skin off or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, it's establishing all of these things before you start. 
that are really, uh, really very important. And are you, if you're going to create anything that has any visual interest, anyway, are you making the decisions like sort of like one at a time or all at once, or do you get an incorrect answer, then you kind of re- go back and redo it? Or how do you, what's the process like? Well, it depends on the brief. If, um, you know, uh, if I'm an artist who makes money by um, speaking of his soul, you know, uh, if I'm a Picasso or a, a Rembrandt or whomever, um, and I'm just painting something because I am a painter and people know my name and it has value, then I can do whatever I like. Um, if I'm working for somebody's game, then there's a brief. And they so might the have a very specific idea of what brief. they want. The answers, a lot of those, or some, at least some of the answers are in the brief already. They've sort of been decided by the maybe the creator of the character or something. Many of them are. Um, in the fantasy genre, you do have a lot of wiggle room. They might say, well, we want a demon and you should have four arms. And, and that gives you a fair bit of room to play. Um I didn't know demons they, they had nuanced. Do demons have nuanced uh, personality? Well, the people that are engaged with this genre are very, very fussy about their demons. There are all different kinds. To give me and um, uh, uh, if you if you are working for a company like uh, Games Workshop on Warhammer, for example, um, the visual style is very, very well established and. There are very specific rules for every character they might give you, but I've never worked for them. Um, I've always worked with uh, the SSG guys and now Infinite Plus Two, and their briefs are kind of loose. They say a demon, he should be thin, pale skin, we're thinking of a skeletal head, and uh, and I'll do something, and they go like, yep, that suits perfectly. There are other times when they say, you know, um, maybe uh, a castle. Not necessarily a castle, whatever you come up with. And so I might do, instead of a castle, an evil tree. Um, so it's uh, it just depends on the, the specifications on the brief and how many there are. Um, and, and I do like the spaces between those specifications. I enjoy playing in the wiggle room. So when they say, you know, what's that about? I can say, well, the brief didn't specify that it shouldn't be a tree. So, um, yeah, that's that's something that I, uh, that I always have to play with. And some people, you know, they love it. They go, that's a fantastic idea. That's even better than what we had. And others will say, no, that's not what we asked for. Do it again. <laughs> and is this something, this sort of process, is this something that you developed over a long period of time or did you kind of hit the ground running with this sort of, you know? Is it- no, no, I, I had to... I I, uh, I had to earn my skills. Uh, when I first started working at SSG, I was doing trading cards um, with actual paint. Now I work digitally. There are apps like Photoshop and, I, and Autodesk Sketchbook that I use a lot nowadays, but I used to use board and acrylic paints, and I had an airbrush. And, uh, uh, and my office was a mess, and there was bits of paper and sticky tape everywhere. Paint on everything on all of my clothes. Um, but when I first started out, the, uh, the first few pieces I did for SSG were horrible, but I improved fairly quickly. Um, so uh, after a while, uh, they were very, very pleased to, 
to be having me working for them because the uh, the the briefs that they gave me were so were were very vague. They would say it's a Pegasus. You just need to do a piece with a Pegasus in it. So a white and horse so with would, wings, yeah. Um, well, uh, the Pegasus one, I remember it was, it was a pitch black horse with wings and, um, it was attacking some guys in the snow because they built a campfire and it was objecting to that. So again, there was something happening in the piece and it wasn't just a picture of a white horse with wings. I wanted to do something unexpected and thankfully the people that I'm working with uh, loved it. So for a while there, I had free reign to do pretty much whatever I wanted. And even if I did something that was so left to feel that they couldn't use it, they would find a way to use it for something else. Um, yeah, great old time. But eventually they bought me a computer and I started working digitally. And since then, I've never really looked back. So is working digitally like better or faster or, you know, you want to go back to the good old days or how does it compare or it's not comparable? faster and it's easier to make changes um, and you can uh, it certainly doesn't take as long to pull the detail down to uh, an infinitesimal degree what does that mean um, well um, depending on how much time you've got for a piece uh, or what size the piece is going to be printed uh, you're going to work out a certain level of detail when you're working on trading cards. You can be fairly loose and you don't need to um, really move in on very fine details because the size that's going to be printed at, those kinds of details are going to be lost and may actually work against the size format because fine details just get lost at that size. Whereas if you're doing something that's going to be a, a poster or a cover, then obviously you're going to spend a lot longer on it. And, uh, and it's going to require more detail. Uh, with uh, working digitally, uh, you can, um, it, it, you can focus in on the detail and just work very, very quickly. And if it doesn't work, you're not left with a piece that you can't use or have to paint over and start again. You can work backwards incrementally, and that's a very powerful tool. Um, so yes, uh, but the process is more or less the same. I just sketch digitally. I rarely sketch on paper, if ever. Um, I have an iPad and a, and a stylus and I sketch digitally and, um, yeah, I will, uh, work over the top of that using, um, applications such as Photoshop and Autodesk Sketchbook, which emulate different styles and techniques, um, I probably work in a very old school way because I trained with paint. I work much the same way as I did back then. Whereas uh, younger digital artists who started digitally will have uh, uh, many techniques and, uh, um, and processes that are alien to me because they are um, developed only in the digital space and not with the kind of uh, procedural uh, one-step, two-step, three-step uh, way that I developed my skills. So what are those, like, one, two, one, two, three steps, like in terms of developing a final artwork, just without going into all the detail, but what, what are the kind of steps involved? 
one you mentioned about a well, um, not wireframe. What did you quick sketch or something? No, what, what did you call it? Yeah, a quick sketch. You'll uh, you'll do a rough sketch, um, stick figures, try and work out the uh, the spatial relationships between one or two characters. And um, uh, I, I like to get a, a strong sense of movement in a piece. Uh, I uh, there are artists who will get they will take pictures of somebody posed and then basically paint a picture of them exactly as they see them in the camera and um, uh, not to uh, not to diminish those kinds of works, but artists like uh, Boris Vallejo, for example, all of his characters are magnificently painted, but they all look very posed and static. And so I try and get um, a feeling of movement. I, if I work from photographs at all, it's usually for specific sections of a piece, but not for an overall, not for the whole thing, not for the whole figure. Um, I'll do a basic sketch, and then once I've got the the feeling of movement and weight down, um, I'll uh, I'll sketch the physique over the top, and then the costuming over the top of the physique. Uh, and once I've got a really tight uh, black and white sketch of the composition itself, then I'll start applying color, or um, because it's digital, I might actually finish the piece to a high degree um, in black and white and then apply color over the top, which is something that you can do in Photoshop using certain kinds of layering effects. And, um, and that's also, uh, depending on the kind of illustration you're doing, that can also be a very powerful way to work. Uh, and it also ensures that you're not going to mess it up um, because basically if a piece if a composition doesn't work in black and white then it's probably not going to work in color in terms of the tones and highlights if it's confusing as to the spatial relationships and the, the feeling of depth then uh, color is not going to help it much so uh, that can be a way of ensuring that you get it right um, and that is uh, that's probably my favorite way of working at the moment You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. The point of it for me has always been to just not, not, uh, not hate your your job, and it's a common problem. There are plenty of people, you know, who uh, followed a career path of their choosing and found that, you know. Um, Perhaps people find it fulfilling. Uh, I think that if you make the effort and you get really good at something, you enjoy it more by definition. But um, there are comedians who walked away from legal careers, and there are uh, writers funny. who walked away. That's funny. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to um, say about the waitress? Writers who walked oh, away writers. from uh, work in the, the, the financial sector. Um, so, you what know, does if, that mean? What's going on there? Tack, if you've got a fulfilling career tack, then um, then God bless you and long may you live. Uh, but uh, as I said earlier, um, all I ever wanted to be was an illustrator. Um, people encouraged me to, you know, of course, when I was younger, people would say, well, you know, you really should get serious about something a bit more, you know, meaning, meaningful or, or serious. And I just ignored them. Um, not because I was determined, but because the, nothing else made sense to me. I thought this is the only thing that I'm ever going to want to do 
and get good at, because if you're going to get good at something, you have to do it pretty much all the time. So if you hate doing what you're doing all the time, you're going to end up miserable. So um, I just, you know, abandoned all forms of what had been expressed to me as common sense and, uh, and followed this trajectory. I've had plenty of opportunities to do things that are a lot more lucrative, but um, I've never really given a damn about money. I mean, uh, even my, fa- my father said that to me once. Um, uh, he, I had this old car that I was trying to fix up, but I didn't have the aptitude for it. And he said, well, are you going to sell it? And I said, yeah. And he said, what do you want for it? And I said, I don't know, grand and a half. And he said, well, I'll buy it. I said, you can just have it. So I gave it to him. And then later he said to me, I'm going to fix that old car up nice and give it back to you. Now, the only reason he ever fixed up old cars was so that he could sell them for a profit. So I said, why would you do that? And he said, he looked at me very seriously and he said, because of all of my kids, you've been the cheapest. And you don't give a shit about money. Uh, Well, it wasn't a compliment. It doesn't make sense to him. But he's always known that I've never given a shit about money, and and that's that's true. So uh, the fact that I can make a living out of doing what I'm doing, rather than something that could be making me a boatload more money, uh, is fine by me. So um, that- and that's 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 the secret, I, I think. Um, uh, something I would always tell my students is, you know, pro tip for life: if you find yourself in a job where it's too defining characteristics are one that makes you miserable and two you're terrified of losing it then you need to quit that day if possible because it won't be three minutes before you tell yourself i should have done this years ago and the same goes for relationships no matter how hard you think it might be the day after you quit it you'll find that it's worth it in the long run you can't spend your life plugging away at the same mistake just because you've been making it for a long time. I once met a guy in an Indian restaurant and um, I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm an accountant. And I thought, well, there's a conversation stopper. So I changed gears and said, uh, what did you want to do when you were a kid? And he went, oh, I want to be a rock star. I said, of course you did. And he said, did you have a band? And he said, yeah, yeah, me and my two mates used to play in the garage and we had a couple of gigs and it went down pretty well. But then I realized that, you know, if I was, because I was leaving school, if I was going to you know, make a living, I'd better do something serious. So I went to work for my dad's accountancy firm and, and that was it. And I said, and how long ago was that? And he said, 17 years. And then his eyes just kind of slid away to the side and suddenly I wasn't there anymore. Oh, and I could see 17 God. years, 17 years of regret just packed into one thought. Um, Sounds like know, one of your like characters with the visual. I, well, that's, that's the story that I made up. That's the story I made up for him. But you know, just don't be that guy. Don't be. Don't be that guy who's who spent his life thinking about what might have been. So wasn't it pretty tough though for 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 people? Sometimes they they don't maybe realise that, or they've got other pressures on them. They kind of you know, it's got to pay well, the bills it's for tough. one. Yes. Um, it's, I think it's tough for everybody, but, uh, you know, um, there are situations such as COVID-19 where you might think of yourself as having a very secure job and then all of a sudden um, 
you know, uh, you're an airline pilot who can't get work. So uh, nobody's position is guaranteed. Um, I remember if I'd said to my father when I was a kid, I'm going to be a Brickies laborer. Um, he would have just said, okay, and shot me right then and there as a bad waste of resources. But I'd now be a master builder, and both myself and my ex-wife would be driving BMWs. <laughs> Whereas the advice we were given was go into the computer industry because that's where the money's going to be. Apparently, everybody got that advice because now IT consultants are a dime a dozen. And, you know, um, uh, I know someone who used to work as the IT administrator for the Royal Bank of Scotland who is now unemployed despite his qualifications and his many years of experience. So uh, anybody who tells you what's going to happen in the future is X, Y, and Z. You can safely ignore everything they say because no one knows. Mm. And, and I, do, I do find it quite ironic that as a, as a professional illustrator, I found it really easy to get work in the current climate. Um, happily ironic as well, because ir irony is usually bitter. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it is. A, even though it's a creative, it's within. It's a creative art. It's within the creative industries. I can see how it's kind of, in terms of uh, work and transferring files, etc. You know, that can work um, digitally or you know remotely, that type of thing. But I guess not all creative mm. arts can kind of work that way. But then, as you say, it's kind of all very. Um, Who's, how could you possibly have predicted all this sort of the change, this upheaval that's happened in the last couple of years? You couldn't have. And um, uh, based on the prevalent wisdom at the time, um, becoming an illustrator and a comic artist would have been an absolute disaster for me. You know, working in games, I mean, game video games, it's, it's frivolous, it's nonsensical. Why would you do that? But now the games industry makes... Uh, many times more the money than the movie industry, which is held up to be the benchmark of um, uh, the, the, the moon landing of, uh, of creative careers. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I think that if you're, you know, if you're living a creative life and that's what really um, fires your imagination, then yes, the worst case scenario is, you're barely making a living, but you're still enjoying your work. And if you make an exceptional living out of it, then that's a bonus. I just think that if you, as I say, if you, if you want to make tons of money, you're going to have to be doing whatever you're doing to earn that money. Most of the time you're awake. And if it's making you miserable, the money will never help. So um, I, might, uh, I might write a book. I might do a, a comic. I might make another movie. Um, uh, I don't know, but at the moment I've got plenty of work painting goblins and I'm, I'm perfectly happy because uh, it's the perfect work to have while uh, we're still trying to get everybody vaccinated. And then I'll do something else and just follow the road that the gypsies go. So do you have to keep your eyes and ears peeled or is it just something you just got to get the vibe out and just kind of be 
is it an openness or you know how how do you describe it to students um, for example well um, as i say you know somebody said to you uh, when i was trying to be a comic artist they said do you, do you want to do some trading cards and I said yeah sure and then later on they said so the trading cards are nice do you want to be the art director and i said yeah sure and then later on somebody said um do you want to do this animated sequence i said yeah sure and then somebody asked me to direct a short film i said yeah sure and then somebody said uh well what do you think about teaching and i said that could work sure um yeah, so uh, just being uh, open to something that you may not be familiar with, but does, you know, does have something to do with what you're doing, um, and the teaching in particular. Uh, that was a real surprise. Um, I did go back to working in advertising after working in the truck factory. I was unemployed for a bit, um, and then I went to back work. I went back to working in advertising, and I got there, and I thought, ah, yeah. That's right. I remember why I didn't want to do this anymore 20 years ago. So uh, it didn't last long. And then somebody said, try teaching. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't think much of my teachers, for one reason or another. Um, and if you'd said to me when I was a kid, one day you will be a teacher, I would have been horrified. But then I started teaching and I found that it, it is the most emotionally fulfilling job one of the most emotionally fulfilling jobs that I've ever had. Um, and it's something I would say to my students very often was that when you see me up here talking to you, you see me at my absolute best. It was so, wonderful. So for those people that have not, don't have experience as a teacher, what, what are you talking about? What sort of, you know, can you clarify what's this, what's involved or what's the experience of that? What was it for you? I think it's, I think it's the aspect of uh, uh, there's a certain aspect of showmanship to it, you know, uh, engaging by being entertaining. Yeah, there's certainly an aspect. Um, yes, I can relate to that. And uh, you know, uh, it's okay to segue into uh, stories and anecdotes and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, make them laugh and make them smarter. Um, and uh, yes, it's. Uh, it's always great when you find a way of expressing ideas about the process and about, you know, uh, how they might go from there that they really connect with. And they say to you afterwards that that was, you know, that did help, you know, your work, you know, it, it, um, it, it really helped me formalize some of the ideas that I had about my own direction. And uh, yeah, there's, there's no feeling like it really, because that person might go on to make a favorite movie of all time. So, um, when you make somebody an artist, it's win-win. Nobody loses. And you might just, you know, one day they might be the person that everybody points to and goes like, that person is Stone Cold Genius. And you could say, well, tell them everything he knows. <laughs> but not everything I know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I do think that um, as an artist, you, you do get a lot of discouragement. As I said, nothing else made sense to me, and I was lucky in that regard. I think a lot of people who wanted to be game designers or artists or indeed rock stars who eventually became worn down by the advice of people like their parents and their teachers and university lecturers who would, with a genuine concern for their well-being, 
say, that's a stupid idea. Do you know how many people try that and fail? Um, and so they say, they take that on board and they say, well, you know, yeah, actually, they're, you know, I'm rolling the dice. If I go in that direction, I better not do that. I better play it safe. Um, that can lead to regret. Um, I say, at least give it a crack for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, if it hasn't worked out. Then think about doing something else. But if you're making a living and you know what you're doing and people talk to you, people learn things by talking to you, then you've probably taken the right road. But um, I do remember giving a talk about this exact subject at the SAE on an open day or in a room full of people who do I want to learn of the SAE, this person is going to convince me or not. And, uh, and I did point out that, you know, you can't do what your father wants you to do because he's an engineer and you should be an engineer too. Um, because you'll always wonder about, you, you might always wonder what might have been. And as well as that, when you do do this kind of stuff, it's the active discouragement that can really get you down because they just don't understand. Um, it's difficult to see somebody else's point of view. So when somebody doesn't know anything about your inner creative life, then they can't understand what it is you're doing. And a girl came up to me and she showed me work that was frankly astonishing for somebody of her age. And she said that even her parents were you know, at the age of 18, still trying to get her to do something serious, you know, wifeonomics, dishology, whatever it is that they consider to be serious. And she'd been in Art Express and she'd taken her parents and her grandparents to Art Express to show them, look at this. I'm in like the best of the best of the year. For those who don't know, Art Express is the cream of the crop from the HSC from the high schools around Australia every year. And they'd made it a feature of the show. And her parents and her grandparents stood looking at her for a while saying nothing. And then her, her grandfather said, um, when are they taking it down? So now she was, she didn't need, uh, I said to her, you don't need to come to the SAE if you only want to be a graphic artist because you've already had the skill to work professionally. Filmmaking or animation, sure, we can teach you that. But in terms of what you're doing, there's no one here that can teach you things that you don't already know other than professional practice. So she was that good. And that was a level of uh, encouragement or active discouragement she got from the people who love her most. So, you know, um, don't listen to people who don't know what's going on. No one knows the future. Follow your own path. If it's important to you, and it will only ever be important to you in particular, then keep it alive. It works. In this episode, I chatted with Alistair Lockhart, an illustrator and digital artist. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes, including links to Alistair's website and social media. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.